Welcome to HB's Emerging Litigation Podcast. I'm Tom Hagee with HB Litigation Conferences. We're the producer of this podcast, and it is a co-production with Fastcase. In the 1967 film, The Graduate, starring the legendary Dustin Hoffman, he plays a guy named Ben who graduates from college, and um, he's sort of aimless. And then I won't ruin the rest of it for you in case you haven't seen it. But uh, he's uh, people are giving him advice, and he just sort of doesn't know where to go with his life. And he's at a party that his, uh, I guess his family has thrown or something. Anyway, and so this guy comes up to him, and this guy's Mr. McGuire. Did he also have a a garden in uh, Peter Rabbit? No, it's McGregor. Okay, anyway, Mr. McGuire says, uh, I want to say one word to you, just one word. And Benjamin says, yes, sir. And Mr. McGuire says, are you listening? <laughs> Which at that point, um, I would have walked away at that age. But anyway, and Benjamin says, yes, I am. Mr. McGuire says the word plastics. Exactly how do you mean? And McGuire says, uh, there's a great future in plastics. Think about it. Will you think about it? Again, I'd walk away. But good advice back then. Flash forward to today, and of course, plastics are everywhere. They are in the air, in the ground, in our products, in our bodies. And that is the subject of an article written by Michaela Whitman, titled, One Word, Plastics, Two Words, Pollution Exclusion. Why CGL Policies Should Cover Plastic-Related Liabilities. The article will be in the first issue of the forthcoming Journal on Emerging Issues and Litigation. She looks at it from the, the insurance coverage standpoint. That's her thing, and that's the, that's the thing with her firm. She is a partner in Passage LLP's New York office. She's a member of the firm's insurance recovery practice group. That means she represents policyholders. And uh, Kirk Passage, who is uh, the, the founder of that firm, was a longtime source of mine when I was writing Mealy's Litigation Reports Insurance, and uh, that is something that uh, he was one of those people I had to call every day. Not every day. That's not true. But it's a good exaggeration. I had to call him at least every week or every other week, and uh, he was on that. So Michaela writes that the escalation of plastic production and the emerging, emerging risks Plastics posed to human health and the environment equates to greater liability exposure for any company that produces, uses, or disposes of plastic products. This increased risk is evident from the recent uptick in plastics-related litigation. So she urges policyholders to, well, you know what, I'll let her tell you in the uh, interview. And here she is, Michaela Whitman with Passage LLP. Oh, and if you notice a little, uh, it sounds like we're kind of laughing in the beginning. Well, we are, because I think I tried to start this about three times. <clears throat> three times, being the pro that I am. And so, Michaela was very patient <laughs> with, as I got off to a rough start. But anyway, here she is. Or here it is. Michaela Whitman, welcome to the Emerging Issues in Litigation podcast. Hi, Tom. Thanks for having me today. <laughs> you bet. <laughs> So, uh, so we're talking about the article, which I've which I've introduced. 
uh, eloquently earlier. Uh, you, you talk about, according to an Oxford University study, that the, the global production of plastics since the, the 1950s has increased 200 times. Uh, that's more than 380 million tons a year worldwide. But it's not just straws and plastic bags. You write about much smaller threats. What, what can you tell us? Yeah, I mean, as you said, plastics are everywhere. And the generation and use of plastics has just increased exponentially over the last few decades. The Oxford University study, I thought it was just it was shocking that the annual production of plastics has increased nearly 200-fold um, to 381 million tons um, a year by 2015. This is the equivalent of the mass of about two-thirds of the world population. And there are studies out there, one by the World Economic Forum, that says that number will double in the next 20 years. A study actually also, not to bore you of studies, but a study just came out at the end of last month by the by Science Advances that said the U.S. in particular generated the largest amount of plastic waste in the world. And the amount that the that was generated by the U.S. to hit the oceans was five times more in 2016 than 2010, which is kind of a shocking number. And, and as you mentioned, perhaps a larger problem, but from a, a tinier source, is microplastics. And microplastics is a relatively recent discovery. And there are these small plastic particles that result from the breakdown of human-made plastics. So they're really tiny. They're usually less than five millimeters. Um, you can't usually see, you can't necessarily see them. They can be in the dust, even that just whirls around you and you're inhaling it. Um, and scientists have recently discovered them everywhere. They're in our consumer products, such as cosmetics and toothpaste and tires and um, bottled water, our food sources. They're also in the oceans. Um, they've been found in the Arctic Circle. They've been found in the Great Barrier Reef. They, the Journal of Environmental Sciences are saying that the Americans alone consume about 39,000 to 50,000 microplastic particles a year. And that number increases to about 100,000 microplastic particles when you look at inhalation as well. I always thought, well, if I'm drinking bottled water, um, maybe I won't get these, these microplastic particles. And I just read that if you drink bottled water, you increase your microplastic consumption to 90,000 particles a year compared to 4,000 microplastics who consume for, from people who consume only tap water. So that means I'm, I'm consuming 90,000 more particles than, I mean, 80, let me do the math, 86,000 more particles by drinking bottled water than if I drank tap water. Wow. Um, yeah, it's a crazy statistic. So my dog, when I'm walking my dog, he's, he's not that crazy for wanting to drink out of a mud puddle. <laughs> no, he's basically healthier than you are. <laughs> and, and then you start thinking about what are the effects of these microparticles. There's studies that say the, the documented effects on marine life. They know it's affecting the reproductive systems. It's causing liver damage. It's causing tissue inflammation in marine life. And we know that we're eating that marine life, number one. And now we're looking at what the effect of studies are looking at what the effect is on humans. Humans ingest about, everyone keeps saying this, so you'll hear it in the news if you haven't already, is that a human ingests about a credit card's worth of microplastic a week. So when you're ingesting that much, what is the next question is, what is your effect on humans? 
and studies are now starting to, to come out that they're having a direct impact on humans' reproductive systems. They can take their maybe causing cancer, they can cause mutagens in our cells and our genes. So I think we're just starting to see these studies coming out that are going to link the effect of plastics, but microplastics in particular on the you know detrimental effects to human health. You talked about the environment. Do you have anything separate yeah, to say I, there? First, you have ineffective waste management systems. So you just have plastics in general causing, you know, invading the environment in the wildlife, in, in oceans. I think there'll be, it's estimated there'll be more plastic than fish in the oceans. Then you have, on the environmental side, you have the byproducts of plastic production. So the toxins that are re- released when you produce plastic. As I said earlier, plastic production is, being, is increasing. So you're going to have more fumes and toxins from plastic production in the environment. You're also going to have toxins from the breakdown of plastic. You know, some countries that don't have effective waste management systems are going to burn the plastic and that releases toxins into the environment. So you're going to have that harm to the environment as well. And that's going to to affect, you know, climate change. We were talking about, you know, directly impacting the air that we breathe and the toxins that are in there. Yeah, talking to lawyers, you know, sometimes you just don't even want to leave the house. Of course, my house is full of plastic, but uh, the there's, there's there's so much danger in the world. Are you seeing much in, in terms of, has there been any litigation? You know, that's, that's our focus. Is what is there anything you're seeing so far? Yeah, I think there's, there's been a variety of lawsuits, but the interesting thing in the last, even the last two years, is that the number of all of the lawsuits are increasing about plastic. Um, so... I, I like to break it down to different categories so I can see what, what the type of lawsuits that are coming out. You have a, a suits against companies for violating environmental statutes, for releasing plastic particles into the environment, for failing to comply with plastic control techniques or plastic regulations. This is the traditional route of how you would hold a, a company liable for not complying, for not complying with the statute, basically, to regulate plastic. There mm-hmm. was a, a recent case out of the Southern District of Texas that was just filed in June of 2019 called San Antonio Bay versus Formosa Plastics. I think we're going to see more cases like that coming out and that case is being watched really closely. Along the traditional route, you're also going to have suits against the EPA and other government agencies for failing to regulate plastic pollution. I've also seen a push to increase the regulations that the EPA has about plastics. There was a bill instituted, I think, beginning of February of 2020 to basically categorize plastic as more of a, as a harmful substance. It hasn't gone anywhere yet, but it was introduced. And then sort of, in my mind, the third category of suits that have actually been filed are suits against consumer product manufacturers for introducing plastics into waterways and harms to marine life and also then expanding into to um, harms to the the public and, and the you know human uh, bodily injury. The main case recently that came out is Earth Island versus Crystal Geyser Water, which was filed in San Mateo County, California, in February 2020. The Earth Island case I really warrants special attention because it's a departure from the traditional route of suing private companies or government entities for merely not complying with environmental or regulatory violations. Instead, um, in Earth Island. That the plaintiff Earth Island, which is a nonprofit, sued a number of consumer product manufacturers, some of the biggest out there, including Coca-Cola, Clorox, 
Colgate, Procter and Gamble. They basically alleged a number of torts that they were negligent. They failed to warn the public of the harm caused by plastic. That using plastic was a public nuisance. They said that these major food companies, these beverage companies, they created or contributed or assisted in creating the KISS conditions that have caused plastic pollution. They used plastic products when they knew they were bad. And not only did they know that plastic is bad, they failed to use products that could have been better when they were available. One of the the interesting facts in this case, Earth Island cites a study in in this complaint that says a significant portion of all plastic pollution can be traced back to only a handful of major companies and that they use extensive packaging and they know that there is other packaging available. And it identified 10 companies including top three contributors, which were Coca-Cola, Pepsi, and Nestle, that they linked to 14, 15% of all plastic pollution, which is when you think about going forward, who could be liable for this? Because one of the issues is, you know, everyone uses plastic. Who who can be liable here? But when you start looking at the numbers, if you can link it to only a handful of companies, and then who, who else, you know, is related to those companies, it really limits, you know, who could be liable here. But I think suits yeah. like Earth Island, you know, they're, they're show that plaintiffs are trying novel ways to hold companies liable for their plastic use. And if they successfully advance these theories, specifically along tort liability, any company that produces, uses, or disposes of plastic could face substantial liability exposure. Then the next level of litigation is insurance because the litigation obviously is hugely expensive to to defend and to settle and all of these things. So mm-hmm. what, what are you seeing in that arena? Just the, you know, kind of a bridgeway before we get to the insurance, I think there's a next wave of lawsuits coming that oh, are, okay. you know, for, for straight liability claims related to bodily injury. Um, as you start linking, you know, bodily injury from plastic, anyone that comes into contact with plastic that could say, okay, I developed cancer or some bodily harm from plastics then could have a liability claim. We haven't seen these yet. Um, I think mainly because the difficulty of linking the specific bodily harm with exposure to mm-hmm. specific chemicals. However, as the scientific you know, investigations and studies evolve, you pretty soon are going to be able to link specific chemicals and common plastic objects to specific bodily harm. You know, I, I think of it as sort of like asbestos. Um, or smoking, where the risks were not originally recognized, and then they resulted in huge liability exposure um, for companies. So, I, that, mm-hmm. so that's what I wanted to add. That is sort of could be the next wave of of lawsuits that we haven't seen yet, but could be coming. And then when you get to uh, those lawsuits coming, then you want to talk about the kind of policies that could be in play there. Yeah. So, how do you think they'll respond? Now, keeping in mind, uh, obviously, you uh, you represent policyholders. Right. right. So I definitely have a specific view on um, on coverage and, and how it should apply. But I think it's the right one. So, you know, that's how I roll. I think as more plastic related lawsuits are filed, the defense, you know, these companies are going to start turning to their insurance coverage. There's no question for that. And I think you're going to start seeing claims under a variety of policies, especially commercial liability policies. Um, I think that will be the first sort of go-to policy for for businesses. 
but I don't want to close the door on other potential sources of coverage, such as your property policies and employment liability policies and directors and officers policies. From the get-go, I just want to say that I think there's a lot of potential coverage out there under different policies. But going back to CGL policies, CGL policies are, I call them CGL for short, but they're commercial general liability policies. And they typically provide broad grants of coverage that cover bodily injury and property damage. These are your standard business policies, and they're meant to protect against most liabilities associated with business operations. So, for instance, in the plastics context, if a person alleged that your company used or produced a plastic product that caused them bodily injury, your CGL policy, your being the business's CGL policy, should cover any damages that you might be found liable to pay for that lawsuit from that from that third party and it could also impose a, it should also impose a duty to defend those suits against you so you have mm-hmm. two sources of coverage there and the duty to defend in these CGL policies is, is really important in these mass torts cases because you can be getting sued from large numbers of people going back decades worth and you're going to have to defend those lawsuits the Alleged harms from torts, such as negligence and nuisance, can also typically satisfy the definitions of bodily injury and property damage, depending on the specific allegations. So the Earth Island complaint, for instance, you could get coverage under your CGL policy um, for that complaint. So CGL policies are going to be key in, in, in these bodily injury cases that you know are likely to come out of plastics. Well, what, what would be the insurance company's response to that you've got two you've got two types of claims you've got bodily injury and you've got property damage from or um and you have pollution so i guess if you could just talk about how insurance companies might respond to that on what basis might they deny i'm I'm just stopping you there because the way you ask the question it assumes the plastic is pollution (laughs) (laughs) why don't i ask it again okay What would uh, you've got bodily injury claims on one hand and property damage on the other? What would be the conflict between the policyholder and the insurer in terms of saying yes, there's coverage or no, there isn't coverage? Well, I think one of the big issues, and you saw this in in asbestos litigation, for instance, is going to be the pollution exclusion. It's a hotly contested issue. It's been litigated for decades. The pollution exclusion is primarily found in the CGL policies, but it can also be found in property policies and other policies as well, but most of the case laws in regards to CGL policies. Pollution exclusion, first, in regards to plastics, there is no case law on this. It's a completely new world, much like the COVID coverage litigation that's currently going on. This is a new frontier and how the pollution exclusion will apply to plastics. Of course, we'll liken it to other cases such as asbestos and other product liability uh, product cases, but I anticipate that this could on a whole new body of uh, insurance coverage law relates to plastics and and how that relates to the pollution exclusion. You want me to get into the a history of the pollution exclusion a little bit? Well, just for my own nostalgia, because that, that's uh-huh. all I wrote about for many years. Sure. So prior to 1970s, CGL policies didn't have pollution exclusion. They just weren't a, they weren't in these CGL policies. And then in in 70 in 1970, a pollution exclusion was introduced, and this this came along with growing environmental concerns such as, you know, the Santa Barbara oil spill and the uh, Torrey Canyon disaster and other things like that where um, insurers start saying, whoa, we have to be careful about this because the way the policy is written now, it should, it'll cover all of it. 
So they started adding these pollution exclusions, which barred coverage for all occurrences, but they ex- but they had an exception in it for sudden and accidental events. So then the issue was, okay, well, what does sudden and accidental mean? So this mm-hmm. led to a barrage of insurance coverage litigation over the term sudden and accidental. And you had all this case law coming out in the 70s and early 80s about, you know, some courts looked at whether sudden, when it looked at sudden, it said whether the discharge was expected or unintended. Mm-hmm. Some courts disagreed and said it should be more of a temporal element, that it should look at whether the uh, the discharge was abrupt, you know, it was not gradual, and that it had to be sudden meant that it had to be abrupt to get coverage. And then you had a lot of courts saying that sudden was sudden and accidental are ambiguous, and it's unknown, you know, how this should be interpreted. So let's inter- it should be interpreted in favor of coverage. This led to 1982, where the insurance company said, okay, I know this is in layman's terms, but they were like, we're having to pay for all this stuff we never intended to pay for. So we're going to put a new exclusion in, and that's typically called the absolute pollution exclusion. And that the, that exclusion that went in in 1982 got rid of the sudden and accidental exception to the pollution exclusion. This is the, the form that's typically used today. Mm-hmm. And this pollution exclusion excludes coverage for bodily injury arising out of the actual alleged or threatened discharge, dispersal, release, or escape of pollutants. Then you typically define pollutants in a specific way as solid liquid gas or thermal irritant or contaminants, including smoke, vapor, fumes, acids, alkali, chemicals, and waste. And waste includes, this waste includes materials to be recycled, reconditioned, or reclaimed. Um, so it got the, the, the important thing is it got rid of the sudden and accidental exception to mm-hmm. the exclusion. And so it still does come up today, the sudden and accidental issue, but mainly in legacy pol- legacy claims. Sure. So claims that go back, you know, to the 70s and 60s, 60s, 70s or and way back. If you have a claim that's only from 1982 you know, going forward, you're probably not going to have that issue. Right, right, yeah. Big things that happened in those decades, in those decades you mentioned in the 70s, until then there wasn't even an EPA. And then Mm -hmm. until in the 80s, until then there was no Superfund. I mean, we could have podcasts for days just talking about the history. (laughs) (laughs) And no one would listen. (laughs) And no one would listen. That's true. But we theoretically could have a long, long, you know, podcast series on um, pollution exclusion. Um, history. The the cure for insomnia, finally. (laughs) um, So so, so wait a second. So in that list you were reading, I was listening carefully. I didn't hear the word plastic, but... That's a good point. (laughs) And that's that's, um, obviously, I mean, I wouldn't say obviously, but that's one of the reasons I think that the pollution exclusion will not apply to plastic-related liabilities, especially when you look at, you know, some... Things that are starting to come out that the insurance company has known that plastic was a potential um, liability, and it has yeah. not changed its form at all to include plastic. And when an insurance company chooses not to ex- purposely not to exclude something, when you when you look at you know policy interpretation guidelines and laws and how policies are supposed to be interpreted, it's supposed to be interpreted in favor of coverage. You know, exclusions are interpreted narrowly. 
And if they didn't, they being the insurance company, didn't choose to put that plastic in there, then you can't read into the policy what is not there. So I think that's going to be one of the main issues when this starts to get litigated. And I say when, because I, I, considering how hotly contested the issue was with lead paint and with environmental issues and asbestos, I can't imagine this not being litigated um, for plastic. Yeah. Well, my two cents is if there were only 10 plastic bottles in the world and somebody gets sick from it, there would be no argument, but it's everywhere. So the, so, I mean, if you said everybody, every, every, they tied cancer to uh, all the plastic that's out there and insurance companies had to pay for all of the all of that. Well, they're going to fight that. But um, right. I guess the thing, the, the random, yeah, I mean, it's just a lot at stake. And it, it, the, the the random thought that I have is when I talk to like medical experts about what's toxic mm-hmm. and what isn't, and so much of it comes down to dose. I wonder if that will come up here. I mean, you know, can the body absorb just so much plastic? Well, um, the same with the planet, you know, how much plastic it, at some point becomes damaging a little bit. No. But the, the amounts that you're talking about from that, like that Oxford study, yes. Um, right. You know, when there's you more know. plastic in the ocean than fish, um, yeah. that, that raises some alarm. You know, the, you mentioned the BPA issue. It's, it, it's the, more, the more I read about this, it's one thing to say that the chemicals from the plastic itself seep into your water, seep into the water source. But now that we have these microplastics, which are an entity unto itself that we're in, ingesting and causing issues. I think that could open up a whole different world of liability because it's not just the chemicals. In addition to the chemicals from the plastics themselves, it's the effect of these smaller particles. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder what they're. I mean, I could just wonder because you know I'm not suing anybody, uh, but I'm just wondering. You know, if, I'm not either. Actually, is, at the time, I know you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'm just wondering. You know, you talk about remember how you know asbestos fiber would get in your lung, and then the lung. What was it? Macrophages would start attacking the fiber, then start co- collecting around it, and then causing. I don't know. I'm I'm not an asbestos plural whatever doctor, but. It would seem a little asbestos in the lung. Yeah, that. Yeah, you you talked. You mentioned that earlier. That would just seem like. Well, that's that yeah, can't possibly be good. That's exactly right. And and then we get into you know hearkening back to the asbestos issue of these decades long old policy. De- you know, decades claims where I theoretically could have inhaled plastic twenty microplastics twenty years ago, and if it's mm-hmm. found that microplastics are in my lungs from twenty years. Theoretically, if I sue Pepsi, those those policies that were in place 20 years ago could apply. It could be triggered. So we're talking about long-term exposure issues that companies could have a liability exposure for going back decades. When you start talking about like asbestos, like asbestos inhalation, microplastic inhalation into your lungs. Great. So, you know, you mentioned going back to all those years and and you and I have a shared, uh, we spent some time in the Ohio Valley. I was a boy in the 60s. So let's see, I was riding in the car with my mother. I had no seatbelts while she was smoking cigarettes. And uh, mm-hmm. you know, we were playing with dry cleaning bags. And the and the air was not the best quality in the Ohio Valley because the, the Coke plants and steel mills were just spewing <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. I think that was the time when the lights went out in Pittsburgh because uh, because the smog was so bad. And 
we'd wake up there. I'm glad, so I'm, young, I'm, glad I'm younger than you because I never you experienced that. <laughs> you don't know what you're missing. Um, yeah, was, I mean, it just, if we went back in time, we all would have reeked of cigarettes. And, mm-hmm. and, and so th- those were fun times. So if you were, uh, so if you're a, uh, a company now that produces, you mentioned some companies and they suspect that this could be something that comes down the pike, what would you advise them to do now? It's a great question. I think now they should be keeping, they should be taking stock of their potential liabilities from plastic. And this is especially true if you're in a, plastic, in a company that is involved in plastic production, plastic disposal, or even if you use plastic products. Just taking a, a stock now of what kind of liability could you suffer there? You should stay current and in compliance with plastic regulations. You should know what they are. Again, this is especially important if you're disposing of plastic products or um, using plastic products in any way. You should be reviewing your insurance policies just to know, this is a good thing to do in general, but you should be reviewing your policies to know what you have, what coverage you have, what your limits of liability are. Because if a plastic claim comes in the door, you want to know, okay, these are the policies that could potentially provide me coverage. And don't assume that a plastic claim isn't covered. You should be looking at all sources of coverage, all policies that could provide coverage for plastic. As I said a little bit earlier, Yeah, your CGL policy might be the first place you go, but a variety of different policies could provide coverage for those claims, and you should be looking at all of those policies. You should also be thinking about mitigation costs. If you're taking steps and incurring costs to mitigate your risks from plastic, those those kinds of costs could also be covered under your CGL policy, your property policy, um, other policies. Um, So that's what you should be doing now. And once you take stock of your potential liabilities, you should also be talking, you know, when you place your policies with your broker, if there's something you're really worried about that isn't being covered um, under your current uh, policy plan. You mentioned DNO coverage uh, is one mm-hmm. potential one. Can you just say a couple of things about how that would come into play? Sure. So, DNO coverage or directors and officers coverage is, is DNO is short. Is covered claims against directors and officers for of a corporation when there's an alleged wrongful act by the director or the officer while they're acting in their capacity as a director and officer. Um, that's typically called side A and side B coverage. And then you have side C coverage, which also will cover the company itself um, for allegations for specific types of claims, for example, security claims against the corporation itself. So this could cover shareholder and derivative suits against the company, um, against directors and officers and the corporation alleging that they breached their fiduciary duty or their duty of loyalty or they mismanaged the corporation. For plastics, it would be suits brought against them for not managing their plastic use, their plastic disposal, their plastic exposure, or other plastic-related liabilities. So if you have shareholders bringing, saying, you didn't manage this to the bringing suits against your director of an officer saying you didn't manage this correctly. You, you should have known that there were, for example, alternatives to plastics available and you didn't use them and you caused our share price to drop or um, you breached your fiduciary duty to handle this correctly. Director of an officer's coverage could, could provide co- insurance coverage for those lawsuits that are brought. You're starting to see I, I, not on the, just on the liability front in global warming suits there's a suit that was brought against Coca-Cola recently. 
that was the director of an officer suit for not managing global warming risks correctly. Because this is going to be so ubiquitous, it would it would be wise to get out ahead of this. I mean, I think if uh, if you could have advised uh, companies in the fifties and sixties about their policies, knowing that hazardous waste was going to be mm-hmm. such a ginormous thing, that would have been a great service. And uh, plastics is is uh, so ubiquitous that if it starts to hit, it's going to be massive. That's a great point. Let me stop you there. Going back to your question about what companies should be doing now is Mm -hmm. keeping their their policies, which is an issue when you have these long-term claims going back decades. The the policyholder doesn't always have the policies, so they don't even know what's covered. So I think that's a great, you know, you raise a great, you know, tip for policyholders is keep your policies um, and take inventory of what you have and you don't have. If, if I could advise companies back in the 50s and then in the 80s saying, don't throw away your policies, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. it would have been helpful. Yes. You've been like Nostradamus. <laughs> yeah. Well, if I came up with a tip, I promise that was accidental. That was that was all yours. We, sh- we have to talk about COVID and business interruption. Um, so maybe we can talk about that next time because it would because that's certainly coming up already. Uh, plastics could Absolutely. be down the line a bit. Plastics is, is going to be ongoing forever, but I obviously, co- I think it's not going to get any press or not that much press right now with COVID everywhere. Yeah. Uh, so, Michaela, it was great to talk to you. Thanks for spending time with me. Thank you, Tom. It was great. And there you have it. You've been, I hope you appreciated that I worked in uh, the word accidental into my little quip about my advice to policyholders. That's for the legacy pollution exclusion geeks out there, and you know who you are. And I think we can also take a warning from Michaela's uh, commentary that we digest about a credit card's worth of microplastics a week. Might as well just eat the credit cards. My scores certainly would uh, improve as a result. I'll say that. But, you know, the credit card in your system can be... uh, Maybe that's not such a good idea. Do not eat credit cards, okay? If anybody's listening to this, take that away. You've been listening to Michaela Whitman, the policyholder attorney, insurance recovery attorney with Passage LLP, formed by the legendary Kirk Passage. And uh, this is based on the article that Michaela wrote for the forthcoming journal on emerging issues in litigation. And who knows, but by the time this comes out, it will actually have already come out. But it is coming out in January 2021. It's titled, one word, plastics. Two words, pollution exclusion. Why CGL policies should cover plastics-related liabilities. This is Tom Hagee with HB Litigation Conferences. On behalf of my company and my co-whatever, you wouldn't be a co-partner. And my partner, Fastcase, thanks for listening today. Thank you.